we've just had some really important information about sneaky scammers. People uh, are out to rip us off. That's a, that's a fact. And since we've moved everything online, like banking, like insurance, and like entertainment, there's been a huge rise in identity theft. This online fraud, like we've just heard, is serious. And we need to be on our guard to stop people stealing our identity in order to, to rip us off, to steal our money. Yet as Christians, there's another identity fraud that we need to be aware of. This is a spiritual identity theft. And like the, the sneaky scammers who were trying to rip us off financially, the devil is a sneaky scammer who wants to rip us off spiritually. The devil wants to rob us of who we are in Christ. He wants to take that identity of ours as children of the living God away from us and distract us with other worthless things. And I wonder if you've ever seen that before. I wonder if you've been in a situation where life seems so bad, where your circumstances are, are so difficult that you actually forget who you are in Christ, that you forget that you are loved and that you are chosen and you are adopted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Have you ever felt worthless or useless and then built your identity around your struggles. Maybe it's happened in the opposite way. Maybe things have been so good. Maybe that your health is so good, that your wealth is so good, and that your life is so good. That you've built your identity around your achievements and around your blessings. Whether we build our identity around our blessings or our struggles is wrong. And it's a scheme that the devil will use to distract us from who we really are in Christ. And the devil wants to use his sneaky scams to commit the worst kind of identity fraud. A spiritual identity fraud. So fortunately... We've had some good news and some good advice to help protect us from online fraud. And praise God that today we also have the perfect advice to protect ourselves from spiritual identity theft. So turn with me to the book of James. We're going to be looking at James chapter 1 and we'll be looking at verses 9 to 11. Before we go there, just a little bit of introduction about this book. This book was written by James, who is believed to be the brother of Jesus. Initially, James doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. His faith was weak, and he doubted. Yet after meeting with Jesus, after the resurrection, his faith became so strong that he was one of the most influential Christians in the early church. He went from doubt to a faith so strong that he was willing to die for his trust and faith in Jesus. And he's writing to the early church that the first Jewish Christians who were persecuted for their faith and they were scattered across Europe and the Middle East. They were persecuted, they were abused and they were oppressed and they were struggling in their faith. And he's written this letter to encourage them 
to increase their faith and help them reflect Jesus in their day-to-day life. So if you turn with me and look at James chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. So we'll just pray before we look deeper at God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive and has power. And we pray, Lord, that as we look at your word this morning, you will speak to us, you will challenge us, and make us more like your son, Jesus. In his precious name we pray. Amen. So let's look at verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. So James is speaking specifically to Christians. And he's speaking to Christians who are faced with social inequality. Like today, the the, the poor of the time of, of this book were oppressed. The rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. Many of the readers of this letter would have faced persecution, exploitation. They'd have known what it was like to be oppressed, to be disrespected, to be mistreated. And all this was happening by those who were richer and more powerful than themselves. As we heard earlier, the the original readers of this letter will have been Jewish Christians who would have been forced away from their homes, from their land, from their families, from their businesses and their work because of their faith. Some of them would have been poor because they'd been uh, made refugees. Some would have been poor because of illness and disability. And others will have been made poor because they couldn't find business or working uh, or employment because of their faith. So James is speaking to Christians who know what it's like to struggle. James is speaking to, to Christians who are worrying about how they're going to pay their bills and feed their children and, and educate them or find clothing for them. Whatever the reason for the Christians in the early church finding themselves in poverty, James is telling these Christians, telling these Christians 2,000 years ago and us as Christians today, that if they find themselves in humble circumstances, if they find themselves in poverty, if they find themselves oppressed, financially broke, disrespected, neglected or mistreated, then they should be happy and they should be proud and that they should boast. And this sounds ridiculous until you understand why he's telling the church this. Because he doesn't want the church to have their identity of who they are in Christ robbed of them because of their circumstance. He's reminding the church, these poor, mistreated Christians, 
That despite the abuse of the rich and the powerful, that despite their poverty and despite their struggle, that they can be happy, that they can be proud and that they can boast. Because despite what the world thinks of them, despite what they might think of themselves, they are not worthless. They are priceless. Bought with the precious blood of Jesus, chosen and loved by the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. James is reminding these Christians who are struggling that's irrelevant what people think of them. It's irrelevant what society says about them, and it's even irrelevant about how they see themselves. He is telling the Christians then, and James is telling us as Christians today, that all that matters is what God thinks about us. That God sees us as his adopted children. And in particular, his children who he loves and has a special affection for. Those who are poor and those who are afflicted. In the next chapter, verse 5 of chapter 2 of James, it says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Here James is reminding God's people that those who find themselves in humble circumstances often have the privilege of knowing that they can't do life on their own, that they need God's help. Not only are their circumstances humble, but their hearts become humble and they cry out to God who helps and who saves. James is telling God's people that regardless of our circumstances, Regardless of how the world sees us, regardless of how people may look down or mistreat us, we can take pride in how God sees us. We can take pride and boast about the promises that God has in store for us. His children, his adopted children. Not only are we his adopted children, but we are co-heirs with Jesus and the kingdom of God. You see, in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve, there was no poverty. There was never meant to be poverty. There was no sin. There was no suffering. There was no struggles. Work was a pleasure. Mankind walked with God. Genesis 2, 15 to 16 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Food was in abundance and work was a pleasure and a joy serving God. And in Genesis 3.8, we see that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The Bible shows us that as humans, we were meant to live with God, walk with God and to daily receive the blessings of God. Yet but because of Adam and Eve's desire to become like God rather than serve him, they took the fruit, the only fruit that they told they could not eat, so that they could have knowledge like God. They wanted to be like God rather than worship God, and they brought in sin and death and separation. 
It was this sin that meant they and every human being after them would find their lives impacted by poverty. The poverty of being separated from God. The poverty of having conflict within our relationships. The poverty of finding work at chore. The poverty of having relational problems, of having suffering, illness and death. You see, poverty isn't just financial. Poverty is when life is ruined and sin has ruined life, the life that God had intended for us. And because of that, everyone, rich and poor, knows poverty. We know the poverty of being separated from God. We know the poverty and living in a world that is broken and tarnished by sin. The rich and the poor get ill. The rich and the poor suffer. The rich and the poor suffer loss and lose loved ones. The rich and the poor have relationship problems. Both the rich and the poor will die. All of us suffer from the poverty of being separated from God and the consequence of living in a broken and fallen world. But our greatest poverty is that being separated from God. And our greatest need is not money, is not clothing, is, is not food and it's not housing. It's to have our relationship restored with God. And the only way to have that relationship restored is through trusting in the perfect life, death, resurrection, ascension and return of Jesus. Jesus who gave up his riches to become poor. He left heaven where he was worshipped and came to earth to be hated and despised. He lived a life of hard graft, working as a carpenter. He lived in one of the most undesirable parts of his country. He was oppressed. He was ridiculed. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He had lies told about him. He was falsely imprisoned. He was tortured and abused and then he was murdered by being hung on a cross. Yet throughout all these struggles, he never sinned once. He always obeyed God the Father. He always honoured God the Father. He chose to endure this suffering because he saw the glory at the end of this suffering where he would be sat at the right hand side of his Father as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But not only that, he saw that through his perfect life, death and resurrection, that all of us who turn to him in repentance and trust and follow him can know forgiveness, can know adoption and can know eternal life. Not only are we given those wonderful prizes of adoption and eternal life, but we also have the share in the eternal kingdom of God. A place without sadness or suffering or sin. A place without poverty where relationships are perfect, including our relationship with God. And that is why poor Christians can boast. That is why poor Christians can share about their high position. Because their value is not in their current position or situation. It's in their eternal situation as co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. The reason when we are poor, when we are struggling, we can rejoice and take pride in our high position 
It's because we don't care about how the world sees us. We should only care about how our Lord and Saviour sees us. So to encourage us, all of us here this morning will have suffered from poverty in some shape or form. The poverty that's created by the fall, by sin. Whether we suffer from financial poverty, unemployment, addiction, broken relationships, disability, loneliness, illness or death. However, what James is telling us is we're not defined by our struggles or our sufferings. We're not defined by how other people see us. And if we allow that, then we're allowing the sneaky scammer, the devil, to rob us of our identity. Whatever we are going through today, we must ask God to remind us through his word that we are special, that we are chosen, that we are his. Christians, I'm asking you this morning, are you taking pride in your high position? Are you sharing your pride with others? Are you sharing how God has chosen you, how God has adopted you, and how that you are an heir to the kingdom of God? Are you sharing your pride with others and telling them that they too can be chosen, can be adopted, and can be co-heirs with Christ, if only they trust and follow Jesus? You see, if you were here this morning and you don't know Jesus, what's stopping you? Humble yourself. Ask for forgiveness and follow him. So you too can have the pride of the high position of knowing that you too are a child of God. Forgiven, adopted and have an eternal life. The verses continue by saying, But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. So James, first of all, is talking to the, the members of the church who are struggling with poverty. And now he's speaking to the Christians, a member of the church who are blessed with wealth. And in a similar way, he's saying to these Christians, the poor do not find their identity in their struggles. And the rich shouldn't find their identity in their blessings. He's saying to them that they, the wealthy Christians shouldn't find their identity in their wealth or their business or their academic achievements or their beauty or their fitness or their health. He tells them that they are defined by how God sees them. And that is exactly the same way and the same thing he tells the poor. He's saying that Christians, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, we are all in the same boat. That our identity should only be found in how God sees us as his chosen, loved and precious children. In the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, we are told, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight. 
James is telling the church, like, all of us are affected by poverty. All of us are affected by the common grace of God. All of us are blessed and rich. Not always financially. Sometimes it might be rich in wisdom. We may be rich in strength. We may be rich in good health, in, in time, in family, or in friends. Yet God is telling us, although we should be thankful for these blessings and the richness that he has given us, we should never define ourselves by these. That we should not boast in these things and that we should not rely on these things. And the reason is because James explains further on that since they will pass away like a wildflower. James is saying that all of these riches we have are not worth boasting in because they're temporary and one day they will be gone. The only thing we can boast in is our salvation because that is the only thing that is eternal. So whether we are defined by our money, our beauty, our strength, our youth or our family, one day all of these things will be gone. In the first eight verses of this chapter, James reminds us that our struggles in life are temporary, which is good news. One day our struggles will be over. But in these verses, he also reminds us that the blessings of this world are temporary and they too will one day be gone. Like the beauty of a wildflower in the springtime, it's gone in the winter. So will all these temporary riches that we often hold on to and try and build our identity into. We often strive for these riches to validate us. Yet that is robbing us of our true identity, which can only be found in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. And sometimes not only do we try and seek validation in our riches, these riches will sometimes encourage us to look down on those less favoured than we are. And this is exactly what James was saying in the first verse. He was talking about the rich who were who oppressed the poor. He's telling us that our pride should never be in the temporary things of this world and that it should only be in the eternal things of God. But it's hard, isn't it, when we live in a, in a world like we do. If you watch the telly, if you read the newspapers or surf the internet, we're constantly bombarded with people being braggarts, showing off and, and boasting. Big-headed, arrogant fools trying to build themselves up while putting other people down. Whether it's elite sports stars, whether it's YouTuber wannabes, whether it is actors, musicians and models, the media is full of people claiming to be the best. People claiming to, to look the best and to do the best. And the worst programme for this is The Apprentice Flipping Egg. I don't know if you've seen it, but all these people are, are glamming themselves up and bigging themselves up, boasting of their academic and professional ability, yet none of them seem fit enough to walk a dog. They probably lose it when you see the performance. They're all a bunch of jokers. 
all of them boasting in temporary things, things that won't be here in the next 10, 20, 50 years' time. Yet after I watch that programme and I condemn them, I think about myself and see how I do exactly the same thing. Whether it's on social media, on the phone or in in person, all of us can be like that, can't we? Boasting about the temporary worthless things that mean so much to us. Forgetting that our identity isn't in the temporary worthless things of this world. And that it should be in the eternal glory of our heavenly father. Even if we build things up that will last longer than 50 years, we don't get to enjoy it. We're like the foolish man who built up his barns to leave it for other people to enjoy. How often do we boast about nonsense? How often do we feel validated by the rubbish things in our lives? How often do we boast about our identity in Christ? That's the sad thing. I find myself building my ego up on a daily basis about the things that are irrelevant, forgetting to boast about the only thing I have worth sharing. And that is my faith in Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The salvation that he has given me, not because I'm any good, but because I'm useless, because I can't save myself. The only thing worth having and giving that I have is Jesus. The only thing that we all have worth giving and sharing is Jesus. We need to be boasting about the eternal things that Jesus has given us. We need to be proud that we are known as children of the living God. We need to see Jesus as our greatest treasure. The question for all of us this morning is, where are we finding our identity? Is it in our riches? Is it in our blessings? Is it in the temporary things of this world? Or is it that we are eternally saved, eternally loved, eternally chosen? As Christians, we need to be reminded that our greatest treasure is Jesus. And that our greatest boast should be that we have been chosen that we are saved, that we are adopted, and that we are forgiven. And the reason we boast is so that those who don't know Jesus will cry out for his mercy and forgiveness and that they can know him too. We need to boast about our greatest treasure and share our temporary treasures with others. Acts 2, 44 says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. We need to ask ourselves, are we sharing Jesus enough? But also, are we sharing our blessings? What are the treasures that we have that we can share with others? We might not be financially rich. We might not have much money, but we might have time. Time to pray, to read the Bible with, to encourage and to love our brothers and sisters. We need to ask ourselves, how can we use the riches of time to bless the church and God's people? How can we use our health to bless those who are sick or our friends and family to bless those who are lonely? James 1.11 says that for the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. 
In the same way, the rich will fade even while they go about their business. Now, James is reminding us again that our riches are temporary. But not only are our riches temporary, but our time on earth is temporary too. That one day we will die or Jesus will return. Either way, what he is saying is that our time on this planet is limited. He is letting the rich know that their time is as limited as the poor. He is warning us that our time is limited and we need to use it to the best of our ability. We need to use our limited time to serve God and to serve others, to build things for eternity rather than build things that are temporary. I had a friend called Jeremy. He was a banker and he ran a private bank. This bank wasn't like NatWest or like Barclays to open an account. You needed a minimum of three million pounds. It was an exclusive bank. Jeremy, my friend, had lots of wealthy friends. He was wealthy himself. Sadly, Jeremy was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer in 2013. He was only 49. And in 2015, he was given 18 months to live. Yet he found that his cancer had made him into an accidental evangelist. As soon as he was given his diagnosis, he, he retired on health grounds. And he spent every day that he could helping the church and trying to reach the lost. He spoke at churches, he spoke at businesses, he, he spoke at schools and students. He wrote an evangelistic book about his experience with cancer called Beyond the Big Sea. He even spoke to a Premier League uh, crowd at Watford at half time sharing the gospel. The reason he invested his time so wisely was he knew that his time was limited. He didn't want to waste a minute. And he dedicated his final years to serving God, to serving God's people and to reaching the lost. In particular, he spent his time with the type of people that most people ignored. He even came home to Middlesbrough just to have lunch with me and my family. And while he was there, he shared with me how a number of people had come to him crying and grieving with him when he was first diagnosed with cancer. And how those people who were sad thinking that Jeremy was going to die soon actually died before he did. A young couple on their honeymoon, a middle-aged man cycling home from work, hit by a car. You see, as Jeremy realised that he had what he thought was a curse, he soon realised that it was a blessing. Because unlike Jeremy, those people who died thought they had decades ahead of them, yet died. Whereas Jeremy knew he had precious, precious moments left and he wanted to use them to the best of his ability. Jeremy thought that he knew that he was going to die was a curse. But then he saw it as a blessing. He knew his time was limited and he was determined to make every second count. And James is telling us that like Jeremy, we are all going to die at some point. And when it happens, we can either be like Jeremy, 
having made every second count, serving and enjoying God, building up treasure for eternity. Or we can be caught in the trap of building temporary treasures that won't last. James wants us to remember that our greatest treasure is Jesus, that our identity should be in him and only in him. That whether we are rich or whether we are poor, that our poverty or our riches are temporary, yet his love and his salvation and kingdom is eternal. So as we, we end this passage this morning, we need to be reminded that if we are struggling with poverty, we can give thanks. Give thanks that even though we might be broke financially, we are millionaires in Jesus. And that even though we're struggling, we can ask God to strengthen us, to help us to remain faithful as we serve him and serve his church. We can ask God to help us not to waste a single minute of our poverty, trusting in his provision and our identity as children of God. And if we're blessed with riches this morning, we need to give thanks that our riches are temporary and are nothing compared to our treasure in Jesus. We need to ask God to strengthen us and to help us remain faithful as we serve him and his church. We need to ask God to help us be generous with everything we have, including our time, so that we don't waste a minute of our prosperity, so that we use our prosperity and our wealth to bless the poor whilst trusting in our identity as children of God. And finally, if you don't know Jesus this morning, what are you waiting for? Come to him now knowing that whatever your situation, whatever you've done, whatever anyone thinks of you, whatever you think of yourself, if you put your trust in Jesus, if you ask him for his forgiveness and if you follow him, you too can be chosen, forgiven, adopted and known as a child of God. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we look at this difficult task of staying firm with who we are in Christ, Lord. So often we are tempted with riches and fame or disillusioned and discouraged with pain, struggling and poverty, Lord. But Lord, help us to be reminded that whatever situation we find ourselves in, it is temporary, Lord, and the only eternal treasure we have is you. Keep our eyes focused upon you, Lord. Help us to be thankful that even when we fail, you never did, and your righteousness is credited to our account. Lord, we look forward to the day that you return, but until you do, Lord, help us to love one another and to love the lost, but most importantly, to love you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.